why the term least restrictive has nothing to do with physical or mechanical restraint. Every now and then I hear someone stating things like staff must use the least restrictive method when restraining a patient, etc. Or any physical intervention must be the least restrictive option or words to that effect. However, those statements are wrong. They are wrong because they are being used in the wrong context. I do understand the principle, ethics and morality argument. I mean, no one wants staff rushing in and immediately resorting to a high level technique where they are not required, but that isn't the point I'm raising here. The point is the term least restrictive has nothing to do with a physical or mechanical use of force option. Let me explain. Least restrictive is a principle contained in the Mental Capacity Act, which states, before the act is done or the decision is made, regard must be had to whether the purpose for which it is needed can be as effectively achieved in a way that is less restrictive of the person's rights and freedom of action. An important point to note here is that the Mental Capacity Act is not an act that governs the use of force. Therefore, least restrictive isn't a use of force term and isn't governed by any of the laws that relate to the use of force, such as Section 3.1 of the Criminal Law Act, Common Law and the Criminal Justice and Immigration Act. The Mental Capacity Act, MCA, is purely and primarily designed to protect and empower people who may lack the mental capacity to make their own decisions about their care and treatment. The MCA and DOLS, the Deprivation of Liberty Safeguards, are designed to decide whether or not a person lacks capacity and, with regard to the restriction of that person's liberty, whether a person can have their liberty removed for the purposes of detaining them for treatment. Note the last part of that last sentence, for the purposes of detaining them for treatment. In its correct legal context, therefore, the principle of least restrictive only applies to the removal of a patient's liberty for the purpose of treatment based on a decision made about their mental capacity or lack of. That's it, period. It is not a legal use of force standard when it comes to dealing with anger, aggression and violence. Therefore, it doesn't apply to the use of force for physical restraint, self-defense or the use of mechanical restraints. Looking at this another way, let's say, just for the purpose of illustration, that the application of handcuffs, a use of force option, was considered to be a highly restrictive intervention because of the restriction it imposes on someone. On that assumption, handcuffing someone, therefore, would not, generally speaking, be classed as a least restrictive intervention. But if it was reasonable in the circumstances to apply them because a greater harm was being prevented, then that highly restrictive use of force intervention would be lawful under Section 3.1 of the Criminal Law Act, Common Law and the Criminal Justice and Immigration Act. And if it was used to prevent a death, that would also be consistent with the positive obligation to preserve life as required by Article 2, brackets 1, close brackets, of the Human Rights Act 1998. And Article 2.1 is an absolute right. That means it cannot be derogated against. And all public authorities, including NHS Trust, must take positive steps to promote and preserve the right to life where a risk to life is known to exist. Failure to do so is breaking the law. In the same way, someone could argue that a technique that causes discomfort or pain is not a least restrictive option, but a highly restrictive intervention. But again, if it is preventing a greater harm from occurring, then it may well be reasonable in the circumstances and possibly, in some circumstances, 
also be in the best interest of the patient for such a technique to be applied. And again, if it prevents a death from occurring, then it is, again, consistent with the legal obligation owed to all people under Article 2.1 of the Human Rights Act. The problem is the vernacular used by healthcare staff who do not understand the concept of reasonable force, so are layering the words least restrictive from the Mental Capacity Act and DOLS that isn't, in its correct legal context, anything to do with the law that relates to the use of force. Using the term least restrictive in a use of force context can cause confusion when it comes to use of force options, such as the use of handcuffs, other types of restraint equipment and more restrictive physical techniques. This can result in staff believing that they can't use certain techniques or equipment. It can also result in staff believing, or acting under management duress, that any force used must be the least restrictive as opposed to reasonable. This is possibly where the incorrect legal term minimum force starts to raise its head. But as you all know, if you've been trained by me or have followed me for some time, minimum force is not a legal standard contained in any of the laws that govern the use of force. It is a social standard. In fact, it was a police invention, but I don't have time to cover that in this post. And if staff believe that they can't use certain techniques or equipment because they would not be the least restrictive option, then that could result in staff being taught to use techniques or systems of restraint that do not provide the ability for staff to effectively control a violently aggressive patient or service user. This can increase the risk of human error or failure, which in turn can lead to an injury or death occurring that could have been prevented had the correct information, instruction and training been given around the correct legal principles. In short, organisations promoting a least restrictive approach may be commissioning training that will fail in certain circumstances, and that creates a liability for the commissioning agency. And what about a person of influence, a trainer, manager, director, inspector, etc., who is advising, instructing, or training staff that they must use a least restrictive use of force option. Well, they're giving incorrect and potentially illegal advice. And if you were to do a root cause analysis, you may well find that the information, instruction, training, and advice given could be classed as a rule-based or knowledge-based mistake under HSG 48 and or a systematic or causal failing in an ECFA, which is an effects and causal factors analysis. And if that rule or knowledge-based failing led to an injury or death, that wouldn't have occurred had they been given the right information, instruction, advice or briefing, then that would amount to a breach of the Health and Safety at Work Act, possibly even the Human Rights Act in the event of a death, and could even lead to a prosecution under the Corporate Manslaughter and Homicide Act. It could also possibly even be classed as willful neglect under sections 20 to 25 of the Criminal Justice and Courts Act 2015. There is one way we can all prevent things like this from occurring. Simply call it what it is. Restraint is restraint is restraint. You can call it whatever you like, but if you use physical force and or mechanical restraints to restrict someone's liberty, you have restrained them. You haven't least restricted them. A good friend of mine, Bungie Williams, always says, if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. So if you are interested in attending uh, no BS but legally accurate and legally defensible restraint trainer course, then check out our BTEC Level 3 Restraint Instructor Award course on our website. Uh, I'll place a link below this podcast or video. Thanks for listening. And if you have any questions, please feel free to get in touch. And if you have any comments, please leave them below. And if you want to share, feel free. All right. Have a great day.